Welcome to Biblical Tapestry Podcast, Episode 16, out of 1 John, Chapter 5, The Confidence and Characteristics of a Child of God. Biblical Tapestry is a podcast where we explore how the Bible is its own commentary and how the Gospel is thoroughly woven from Genesis to Revelation. In this Episode 16 in 1 John 5, we conclude this letter answering what makes us a child of God. How do we know that we possess eternal life through Christ? Christianity is not a I hope so or I think so faith. It is a I know so faith. Where is your confidence? All right, 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 13. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. If anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, he should ask and God will give life to him, to those who commit sin that doesn't lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I am not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that doesn't lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. All right, back to verse 13. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. What things had John written? Well, John had been writing to clarify the truth of the gospel to his readers. John had written about joy, about purity, about the power to overcome sin because Christ advocates for his children. He wrote to inform that God forgives sin and unrighteousness. He wrote about the triumph that God's children have over the evil one. He wrote to warn about false teachers and to know that God's children have eternal life and that begins the moment of belief. Sure, we will all experience physical death, But God's children are spiritually alive with God now and forever. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. John was writing to those who believe in the name of the Son of God and not to the heretics who were deceiving God's people. John wanted all believers to understand the assurance of eternal life from God. God's word provides this assurance. God's word provides help to be obedient. Confidence comes from belief in the Son of God and not in feelings that we have from day to day. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10 verse 25, I did tell you and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, 
No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So we get from that a reminder again through the great hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. All right, verse 14. This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Not only do God's children possess the assurance of eternal life, but the assurance of answers to prayer. The gift of eternal life through Christ gives us access to God directly so that he hears us. There is our condition. There are conditions. We find that in chapter 3. 1 John 3:21 says, Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commands us. So we need to be obedient and be doing the things that please God. And the third thing is to ask according to God's will, as this verse 14 states. Dr. Stephen S. Smalley writes the following, The fundamental characteristic of all truly Christian intercession is that the will of the person who offers prayer should coincide with God's will. Sometimes our desires are not God's desires for us. God always answers prayer with yes, no, or perhaps wait. So faith then will accept that God's will is best even though we may not understand it at the time. James clarifies our prayer request in James chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. God is not a cosmic vending machine for our pleasure. We don't ask God to bend his will to us, but we bend our will to his. Prayer aligns us to God's will as in your will be done. Nothing is impossible for God, the creator and sustainer of life, but God knows what is best for us and wants us to have what is best for us, perhaps not what we want. Again, your will be done. Verse 15 says, And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. In verse 15, the word if assures, if we know, this word if assures no uncertainty here. If we know God hears us, we know we have what we asked. There's still a condition of being in God's will. We must come to God with faith in his provisions. Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Therefore I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So faith is involved. God's will is involved. God hears and grants answers. Again, it's no, it is yes, or it's wait, or even perhaps you're not ready yet. Verse 16. If anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, he should ask, and God will give life to him, to those who commit sin that doesn't lead to death. There is sin that leads to death, 
I am not saying he should pray about that. All righteousness is sin, and there is sin that doesn't lead to death. Uh, we'll have some fun here. <laughs> because these are not clear verses. In verse 14 through 15, we see where God will answer prayer. Now John gives some specific encouragements to pray to restore a fellow believer who is sinning against God, with an exception if the sin involves a sin that leads to death, a prayer should not be offered. Obviously, this brings up some questions. A believer can and will sin, but as we have studied, they will not wade into a habitual sinful life. If we see a fellow believer sinning, we should pray for them. That is very clear here. God will then offer the sinning person life. What is exactly the sin that leads to death? Well, John's readers knew within the time and context of the first century what that meant. There are today three main interpretations of a sin leading to death. The first being a specific deadly sin. This maintains that there are specific sins if committed that were unforgivable. However, in Scripture there is only one unforgivable sin being the rejection of the Holy Spirit of God's call to salvation when that is ignored. The second interpretation being blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. This again is a deliberate, open-eyed rejection of the known truth. In Mark chapter 3, verse 28, I truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins, whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they are saying he has an unclean spirit. Well, according to the scripture, some have hardened their heart to a point where prayer will not help them. However, that is never our determination to make. And the last interpretation would be the total rejection of the gospel. That is, not a specific sin, but a total rejection of Jesus Christ as a son of God, a denial of all faith. The brother mentioned in this verse was the one whom to pray for. The second person mentioned in this verse is unnamed and unidentified and probably not a brother in Christ. So it seems more likely this third option is in mind as the unbeliever that rejects Jesus as the Messiah, much as the false teachers were doing. They were unbelievers rejecting the gospel. And to pray for them was not in view here, but to pray for the believer, we should intercede for them. John reminds us in verse 17 that sin is unrighteousness and not the path a believer follows, but pray for sinners struggling with sin whose lives are held by God. So it is not a sin that leads to death or eternal separation. So it is not a sin that leads to death or eternal separation from God. It doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for unbelievers we should do that but our focus is on praying for those who are in Christ verse 18 says we know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin but the one who is born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him well verse 18 is also written very obscurely for our contemporary understandings John is mentioning the new birth, those reborn to a new relationship with God through the sacrifice of Christ. Those who are born of God 
Sure, the believer sins, but there again is a difference as the believer has a God-given ability, a supernatural ability to not continuously engage in sinful behavior. A child of God would be most miserable in that behavior, as I can personally acknowledge. The first part of verse 18 refers to the believer. The second reference to one who is born of God is more obscure here. But one born of God keeps the believer. Well, that gives us a hint. Already the focus for most commentators is this is Jesus Christ, born of God, and he keeps the believer, as we have read, the one fathered by God, the Christian. He, God, then protects him, the Christian. John 10:29 again stating that no one can take the believer from the hand of God. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Consequently, because of this protection, the evil one cannot harm the Christian. God gives his children supernatural power to overcome sin and to obey the will of God. We won't fall into that that maelstrom, that circular downfall of, of sin. Verse 19 says, We know we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Again, as children of God, we can be certain that God protects us even though we live in an evil world. Neutrality is not possible. Christ maintains our salvation. We do not maintain salvation because we cannot retain something that we don't own. It doesn't belong to us. Salvation is of God. Jude 24 says, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. He's able to protect us, to keep us from stumbling allow us to stand in the presence of his glory. Verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Believers are given understanding from God's Spirit so we know whom Christ is and are assured of eternal life through Christ. In Christ we have the knowledge of truth, abundant life, protection from the evil one, and an understanding. We worship our Savior. We worship God and the provider that we can be free from idols. We are created to honor God, and if that is ignored, then other things will take that place, be it self, objects, or wealth. If you're trying to earn your salvation, if you think you can earn it for yourself, then that very activity becomes an idol for you. Idolatry is anything that you love, enjoy, and pursue more than God. Idols say that they are true, but only Christ is true. Idols say that they give life, but only Christ, the Creator and Savior, gives life and eternal life. Idols promise, but they can never deliver. Christ both provides and delivers. Idols of power, control, comfort, approval, position, applause, and pleasure will never satisfy. When you claw your way to the top of the tree, all you will find is the top of the tree. 
you will not find life you will not find assurance you will not find salvation or grace only christ truly satisfies in john chapter 4 verse 13 jesus said everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again but whoever drinks from the water that i will give him will never get thirsty again in fact the water i will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life and that concludes our lessons in the first letter of john i pray this podcast finds you well next episode 17 we begin the second letter of john our title is walking in truth and love second john is a book unknown to many i hope that you will stay tuned happy new year to all of you i pray that you have assurances from the indwelling spirit of god the assurance of salvation held close by the hand of god and god bless